you uh, that you would have something for each one of us to hear as we reflect on the Christmas story and the truth of, of Christ coming into the world. I pray that this would be a, a joyous time in our hearts and in our church and in our, our families as the Lord's uh, birth is, is celebrated in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Obviously, I think uh, you, you recognize it's an exciting time in the life of a family uh, whenever a, a new baby is born. Uh, even those of you that don't have kids of your own, I'm sure, uh, can remember some of the excitement and the hustle and bustle that it was uh, around having uh, the children or around the time the, the child was born. Perhaps some of you as, as uh, grandparents maybe even remember getting that phone call or maybe you as a parent remember making that phone call uh, or maybe uh, for the moms in the room you remember uh, rushing to get to that the car and uh, my wife had to tell me with the one child to drive a little faster to the hospital so that we'd make sure that we'd we'd make it uh, a lot of excitement a lot of uh, joy I remember uh, when our, our first daughter Lily was born she was born uh, on a Sunday morning uh, actually no she's born in Sunday evening but I remember we had to go into the hospital Sunday morning before church and I remember making a few phone calls that morning saying, well, I won't be in church this morning. And thankfully, uh, I was the youth pastor uh, and I wasn't scheduled to preach. Uh, the senior pastor was away that Sunday and he had asked me to preach. And I said, I don't know with the baby being born if that's a good idea. Well, it's good I didn't take him up on that. But it was an exciting time. It was an exciting day. And so how much more is it exciting when you have the birth of a king? When you have a royal birth, even, even in our day and age, when one of the, the, the kings or queens or princesses of, of England uh, has a baby, when, when Kate Middleton has her baby, how exciting it was for everyone. And even though we're not British and under the crown, everybody was paying attention. Everybody was looking for it. How much more than even when it is the birth of the Son of God, when it is the birth of the promised Savior, uh, the Messiah. This morning, our, our main point is this. The Christ has come into the world. Now, I could have said the Savior comes into the world. I could have said Jesus comes into the world. Uh, I, but I specifically say the Christ has come into the world because Christ is the title that Jesus has. It's, it's the word, the Greek translation of the word Messiah. It means anointed one. And so down through the Old Testament, God would often anoint priests or anoint prophets. Or you'll remember King David was anointed. They were specially chosen to serve a role in the life of Israel. But God also in the Old Testament made a promise that there would be an even greater anointed one. Not just an anointed one or a Messiah, but the Messiah, the anointed one. And that one is Jesus, the Christ. Christ is not Jesus's last name. Jesus would have been known as Jesus of Nazareth. Christ is his title. He is the king. He is the Messiah. The king from the line of David has finally come. This connects us back to that, that story that began in Ruth and even before Ruth. That God sends his Savior, the Messiah, into the world. Christmas is quite literally born out of the Old Testament and the fulfillment of Old Testament promises. And so we think of the Christmas song where we sing, 
Come thou expected, uh, long, come thou long expected Savior. He is the Christ. And they had been looking for him for hundreds, if not a thousand years or more. The Christ has come. The King is here. He is on the scene. And you do not find him in a castle or a, a kingdom or a massive house. You find him wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. The Christ has come into the world. The Christ came into the world, and that's first this morning. The Christ came into the world being born as Mary's firstborn. So we have here in this passage Mary and Joseph traveling down to Bethlehem. We know this Christmas story well, but we're just going to continue to walk through what Scripture teaches us. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the registration of Quirinius, the governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph went up from Galilee, uh, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, the city of David, which was called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And we think Christmas is a busy travel day. And if you've ever done traveling through the holidays, either by airplane or by car, the roads are packed, the the airports are jam-packed. It's a crazy hustle and bustle. Could you imagine if on April 15th, tax day, we all had to go back to our hometown uh, and, and not just maybe the town that you were born in, but the town that your like great, great, great grandparents were born in. Could you imagine what the country would go through? Uh, can you imagine the lines at the airport? Can you imagine how much they jacked the gas prices for that? It would be unbelievable. It would it would be chaotic. You can imagine then why this little town of Bethlehem is so full. People have come back from from various uh, places around the nation, perhaps even uh, from outside of Israel, as this is supposed to be a worldwide uh, or a Roman-wide census. There is a little debate over whether the whole census was done at once over the Roman Empire or if it was done uh, in phases. And we do know of some other censuses uh, during this time, but we don't know exactly uh, when this one occurred outside of it being mentioned here uh, in Luke. And so... Uh, Joseph and Mary go back to the city of David. Notice this, this David is mentioned twice. First in the early in verse four to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. And then again, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Luke wants you to know something. Joseph and Mary come from the line of David. And so they, they don't just say, well, they go back to the city of David. Because, you know, there would have been other families other than the line of David that was uh, originated from the city of David in Bethlehem. But he says not only did they go back to the city of David, but he says again, why? Just in case you didn't pick up on it. They are from the house and the lineage of David. Now, house here doesn't mean a literal physical house. It, 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 it's another way of saying the lineage. It's another way of saying they are a descendant. Uh, You might remember some of the Old Testament promises made to David that God will build David a house. Remember when David wants to build the temple 
He says, you know, why should I live in such a nice house when the Lord doesn't have a house? And he's forbidden to build the temple because he's a man of war. God's promise to David is, but David, I will build you a house. Meaning you will have descendants who will be kings. And there will be a descendant who sits on the throne. And this is picked up in Psalms like Psalm 72, Psalm 89, Psalm 132. All of these things, fulfillments. And Luke wants you to know Jesus coming is the fulfillment of the promises made to David. Not only that, you remember from the other week when we were in Matthew, uh, the book of Micah promised that that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And so we have another uh, reminder here of that promise and the fact that this is how God orchestrates uh, that they get to Bethlehem. So the plan and purpose of God is to fulfill his word through the census. Jesus, the Messiah, will be born in Bethlehem, just as God promised several hundred years earlier. So he's born in Bethlehem, verse 6. And while they were there, the time came for her to give uh, birth. Luke doesn't tell us much about it. Just they're there and the time came. Uh, You ladies know what that's like. Some of you that have had kids and you know when it's time to go to the hospital. You know when it's time to have the baby. You know when it's time to push that child out. You can't stop it, as it were. And so we have here the birth of a baby. While they're in Bethlehem, the time comes while they're there taking this census, being registered for taxes. Then Mary swaddles the baby and lays him in the manger. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in the manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And so we find out where they are giving birth in a stable, in a in a manger, in a, in a lowly place, in a, in a dirty place, certainly not sterile like our hospitals are today. Uh, you just have to think about all that God uh, protected Jesus and, and Mother Mary from in terms of infections and dirt and all kinds of things that go on there. It's amazing in a world without antibiotics and such how people survived sometimes when you think about it. But she, she wraps him up in, in swaddling clothes. And some of you, I'm sure, remember doing this to your own children or grandchildren or nieces or nephews where you, you get them in this blanket and, and you almost make it a game to, to see how tight you can get it. And the baby feels secure and you, 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 know, you wrap it. And, and, and when it's the second or third child, you get really good at swaddling them. You can make it so tight they can breathe, but they, they can't move. And oftentimes the babies stop crying when you swaddle them because they feel loved. They feel cared for. They feel warm. I remember when some of our kids were born, the first thing that they do is they uh, take them out and they put them under that heat lamp. And and it warms them up and they clean them off and they weigh them and they do all this stuff. Uh, Mary did not have a heat lamp to put baby Jesus under. So she swaddles him. And you can imagine him. Uh, Jesus is born through any other natural process like, or, or any other birth exactly like it. So you can imagine him coming out and maybe he, he looked a little pale or maybe, you know how until their, their skin warms up, they're not pink right away or they're, they're, they're kind of dirty and sticky. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, 
born in this way and having a a mother who cares for him and and has to swaddle him. Jesus, the one who created all things, who sustains the, the creation through the word of his mighty power, needing to be held and, and kept warm. The, the one who created the Son, needing now in this moment of utter humility and, and being humbled in this stable, needing to be kept warm by His mother. It's amazing when you think about it. The Son of God in all of His royal glory, stepping down into creation, becoming like us in every respect, yet without sin. Mary's firstborn will become the firstborn of all creation. So Luke highlights here for us that that Jesus is Mary's firstborn. Now, firstborn means means two different things oftentimes in Scripture, and you have to pay attention uh, to where you're looking at and what you're looking at. But, but typically, the idea of the firstborn is the one who inherits. And so the one who inherits in the ancient world is often the one who is born first. That's why you call them the firstborn. Uh, if you are the firstborn in your family, uh, you lucked out. You get all of the uh, inheritance. I see some of the sisters and stuff looking back and forth. Yeah, um, that doesn't work. It's supposed to be the firstborn son, typically. Um, but in my family and in the Gemmel family, you don't, you don't have any sons. So I, it would go to the firstborn in, in that way. However, firstborn often can be separated from this idea of when you are born. So there's a little bit of play here, I think, in that Jesus is actually... Mary's firstborn. Now, she is still a virgin at this point. Jesus' birth is through the, or his conception is through the Holy Spirit. But she is, he is the first child born to Mary. And we believe that Mary had other child, uh, children. There's some hints at it in the gospel that Jesus has brothers. But not only is Jesus' Mary's firstborn, Jesus is the firstborn in the sense of he will inherit the world. Luke chapter 1, verses 60, verse 68 and 69, uh, Zechariah is praying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who has visited and redeemed his people and raised up the horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. He's raised up the Messiah is what he's saying. The Messiah is going to be the one who is the firstborn, the one who is the inheritor of the kingdom of God. And so we have in Psalm 89, verse 27, a promise. I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. You think about that for a minute there. And and firstborn doesn't mean the one who is born first. You think about David, and he had all of these older brothers. David is the youngest. And you remember when Samuel comes to anoint him. Samuel's going down the lines of the brothers. And he gets to the end, and David isn't there, and God hasn't told him to anoint one of these brothers. And he says to Jesse, you know, do do you have any other sons? And, and they're just kind of, and, and obviously I'm, I'm paraphrasing for, for some drama here, but they're just kind of like, yeah, there's that little 
punk David out in the field, the, the youngest one. He's, he's not anybody. You know, maybe he was 10 years old. Maybe he was 12, 13. I, I, I don't know for sure. We don't know. But, but you can picture these, these strapping young men, maybe in their early 20s, soldiers, guys who look like they could lead. And who becomes the firstborn, the one who inherits the kingdom? The young one, David. Firstborn is more than just the age. In the Old Testament, Israel was called God's firstborn son. Uh, Moses was to tell Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my firstborn. Again, Psalm 89:27. And when I make him firstborn, I will make him firstborn the highest of the kings of the earth. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 6 says, And then when he brings the firstborn... Into the world, he says, let all the angels worship him. Colossians 1.15, Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And he is the head of the body, Colossians 1.18. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Jesus is the firstborn of Mary in quite a literal way. Jesus, the eternal Son of God who became flesh, also becomes the firstborn in the sense that he inherits all the earth. The eternal Son of God who has no beginning and no end comes into this creation. So as one of the creation, as the Son of David, the Christ, he could inherit all the earth so he could win the kingdom for us so that he could give to us who do not deserve it, the inheritance. Now, I should point out that in Colossians 1.15 and, and 1.18, you'll have people that will say that firstborn means Jesus was the first created. Jehovah Witnesses will say there was a time when Jesus did not exist. And then, so they will say Jesus was the first created being. That's not what Scripture teaches. Jesus is the eternal Son of God. But this idea of being the firstborn means he is acting as, as one of us. And just like David was to inherit the kingdom, but, but failed miserably. And David's descendants failed miserably to walk with God. Jesus, the Christ, the eternal Son of God, comes into the world so that he can take that mantle upon him that was promised to David. The kingship, the preeminence, the, the highest of all the kings of the earth. And so the one here who on Christmas starts out as a lowly, tiny little baby is made after his death and resurrection to be the king of all things. He rises again from his dead, the dead in his humanity. And he has given all the promises of David. And he has made, even in his humanity, the highest of all the kings of the earth. He is the king of kings, the, the Lord of lords. He dies to save us. And in his resurrection, he defeats the death that, that should come upon us. 
And having defeated death, he wins the victory and he is crowned with glory and honor. On the one hand, as the eternal Son of God, he has glory and honor from before the foundations of the world. But now, in his humanity, this one who was this tiny little baby has glory and honor. You know how we sing A Silent Night? And we have that wonderful poetry in there, how radiant beams shine from him. Uh, it's, it's wonderful imagery. It's wonderful poetry. It certainly, I think, is meant to remind us that Jesus is the eternal Son of God. But Jesus was a regular baby. Jesus had spit up. Jesus had poopy diapers. Jesus needed to be swaddled by his mother. He didn't come into this world automatically radiating glory. Even though he had glory from before the foundations of the world, he came in as a baby. As we sing again in the other Christmas song, infant lowly, infant holy. He's holy and he walks with God his entire life. But I can guarantee you, as a baby, he cried like a baby. He learned to walk like a toddler. He grew up. I'm sure there are probably times that he came running into his mother where maybe he had skinned his knee. Or he got dirty playing with his friends. He was the son of God. But he became like us in all respects, yet without sin. And now he is crowned as the king. So the Christ comes and he comes to save the world. So the shepherds get this message from the angels. uh, Luke 8 and 9 or chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. And in the same reason, there were in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angels appeared to him and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. You can imagine what this would be like in a in a fairly dark night. There are no street lights out in the field. Uh, And all of a sudden there is this bright and blinding light. Uh, We think it's wonderful when we light the Christmas tree every year and all of a sudden in the middle of the field, there's these bright twinkling lights. But imagine the glory of angels probably as bright as the sun standing there radiating light to you. It probably went in that field from from darkness uh, to almost daylight in the way this light was. And you can imagine the, the fear that they would have. What are angels doing here talking to us as lowly shepherds? They're bringing news, wonderful news, exciting news. Look at verses 10 and 11. The angel said to them, fear not. I think if that was not the angel's first words, I would have been tempted to run if I was there in the shepherd's shoes. It could be scary. Not only am I seeing angels, but now they're talking to me. And you can almost imagine the calming effect. Fear not. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy, and that will be for all the people. For unto you this is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ. The Lord. Good news here is actually the word we, tr- we could translate gospel. Gospel are, are these royal announcements that go out. 
When we think of the gospel, we're talking about the announcement that Jesus is the Savior, that he died on the cross, that he rose again from the dead, and that by believing in him, that he is Savior and Lord, we can be saved. That's good news, but it's, it's also royal news. Jesus is the Savior, the Lord. And so here we have good news. And this word could actually be used for birth announcements. When the birth of a king or of Caesar was born, they, they would send out royal proclamations. They would announce good news. You and Galleon. This is exciting. This is wonderful news. Everybody needs to hear it and pay attention to, to it. Notice they say, I bring you good news of great joy. It's interesting that in the Gospels, the words great joy together are only used in Jesus' death, or excuse me, in Jesus' birth and in Jesus' resurrection. So we have great joy here. In Matthew 2.10, it says, when they saw the star, this is the, the wise men as they're heading uh, down to Bethlehem, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Matthew 28, 8, after they've seen the empty tomb, it says they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Luke 24, 52, and they worshiped him. This is Jesus and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. When Solomon is put on the throne in in first Kings chapter one, they chant long live King Solomon. And they bring out instruments and they play loud music. And it's, it's like, a, like a parade on the holidays. And they, they sing, it says, rejoicing with great joy so that the earth was split by their noise. I think that's hyperbole there. But, but you know how when maybe your kids or maybe when you were a kid, you played music in the house so loud, the windows started to rattle. And, and your mom and dad are like, turn that racket down. And you're like, but I'm dancing, Mom, or I'm excited. I like this music. They coronate a king with great joy, Solomon. Jesus is born a king, and they celebrate with great joy. Jesus rises again from the dead, with, and they celebrate and worship with great joy. If nothing else, heaven will not be boring. Because we will have great joy. I don't know what style of music they will play in heaven. I imagine they will play everything your heart might delight in. But it will be with great joy. Because we are before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And how much more with this little baby, this, this royal announcement being made. The angels are saying, this is good news. This is great news. Joy. And then the angels strike up the band. They start singing and praising God. Because there is great joy. Notice what they say in verse 11. For unto you is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I think there's three things that we should note there. One. The Lord Jesus is the Savior. You can only find forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ, in his death and his resurrection. His 
purpose in coming into this world was not just to be a cute baby, not just to have everybody gather around and go, oh, Gucci, 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 but to save us, to be a triumphant Savior. Second, it says, a Savior who is Christ. This kid being born is the Messiah. This is his title. They don't know yet that he's named Jesus. They just know the guy is is going to be king one day. The Christ, the promised Messiah. And then it says the Lord, who is Christ the Lord. And, and so these these two here, Christ the Lord, should probably be taken together. But notice what it means to be savior. Notice what it means to be the Christ. It means he is the Lord. These things hang together. Jesus, a savior. But if he's not the promised Messiah, how is he going to save? God doesn't go to plan B and say, well, you know, I promised this Messiah all these times. But you know what? I'm just going to send this other guy and we'll call him Jesus. No, this savior is that Christ that was promised. But what is the Christ? The anointed one is promised to be the king one day. He can save because he is Lord. Lord here may have implications and references to his deity, but I think primarily in this passage it refers to his royal title. There's some overlap in Scripture. Many times when it says, you know, uh, let... um, when it says like in, in Romans chapter uh, 9 and 10 that, that all those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved, it's quoting Joel. And so Lord there is also a reference for deity. But here I think in particularly it's highlighting with this idea of the Christ, the Lord. It's highlighting his royalty, his kingship, his activity of lordship. What will this Savior do? He will rule over all things. And these shepherds, when they come into Bethlehem, they acknowledge that this little baby is Savior and Lord. Or he will be the Lord as he's put on the throne. He'll one day be crowned and and coronated. And so it looks forward to what's going to happen. But it says, this guy's the king. He'll die and rise again and ascend. And that will assure us of his kingship. But he's the king. He's the Lord. He deserves reverence and respect and honor and, and submission. And you come before this baby. And even though you're bigger than him, even though you can pick him up and hold him and and toss him around if you wanted to. You come to him and you you say, he's Lord. Of course, we know, and and, um, Jason mentioned this in the worship service this morning, Christ isn't a baby anymore. But he is Lord. He remains the Messiah, the Savior, the highest of all the kings of the earth. Meaning he is reigning in heaven. And certainly he has been and always will be reigning as God. 
but he is now reigning also as a human being, as the Messiah. And we don't get to pick and choose how we're going to come to him. And what are the terms that we can set before we come to him? We come to him and say, you are Savior and Lord. We might not understand all of the background of the term Christ and Messiah. How many of us, uh, when we got saved, knew that the Hebrew word for, for Messiah meant the anointed one? Probably not. But we recognize that we're coming before a king. We don't see him physically reigning. But we know from Scripture and we take it by faith that all things are under the authority of the Lord Jesus. And how are they going to know? How are the disciples going to know? Or excuse me, the shepherds going to know when they find baby Jesus? It says, and this will be a sign for you. And you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. So it's, it's fascinating, I think, that the angels don't say to, to the disciples, well, you know, go into Bethlehem and go down Main Street and take a left here and then make a right and there's a little, there's a little manger there and that's where you'll find him. There's almost, I, I think, the, the implication of they're, they're going to have to look for him a little bit. They're, they're going to have to search for him. And, and what's the sign? They, they don't actually say, you know, oh, by the way, his name will be uh, Jesus. So just ask the mom and, and say you're looking for Jesus. The sign is they will find him in the manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. How do they know he's the king? How do they know they found the Messiah? It's ironic. They don't, they, the angels don't say you'll see him on his throne. They say you'll see him in this lowliest of positions. Isn't this so true when you think of what Jesus came to do for you and I? Where do we ultimately look to the Lord Jesus for salvation? We look to the cross of Christ. And the scriptures say that that the Lord Jesus, although being equal with God, he humbled himself and took on the form of a man. He humbled himself unto death, even death on the cross. Where do we find the Son of God and the salvation that he offers? Now, Jesus isn't hanging on the cross anymore. But you find the salvation that he brings at the foot of the cross. You look and you say, this one who was the King of kings and the Lord of lords humbled himself. He was beaten and bruised and marred beyond human recognition. People that knew him could hardly recognize him because he was so bruised and bloody on that Good Friday. As much as the Savior humbled himself and became a baby, he humbled himself even further and he died on the cross. Now, he didn't stay humbled. He rose up out of that. God the Father raises him from the dead. And as Hebrews 2 tells us, crowns him with glory and honor. The one who humbles himself is is taken up in a resurrection body into heaven. And the scriptures say he is given the name above all names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is what? Lord. And here the shepherds here. He's Savior. 
is the Christ, the Lord. Christ came into the world to bring peace to men and glory to God. Notice how the angels start to give glory to God. And when they were and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the hosts of heaven praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased to dwell. God has sent his Messiah. It is the son of God entering the world. And and the angels start to say, praise God. Isn't God awesome? Isn't God exalted above all things that God would send the son into the world? Who does this? What God is like this out of all the things in our world that that proclaim themselves to be gods? The living and true God who is higher than all things, does this for our salvation. And so throughout Scripture, there's often this refrain that the Lord is exalted. So you see the angels, glory to God in the highest, meaning He sits in the highest throne in heaven. All things are under the authority and under the feet of God the Father. Isaiah 33, 5, the Lord is exalted He dwells on high. He fills Zion with justice and righteousness. Psalm 92, 8. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. Psalm 93, 4. Mightier than the thunders of the waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Psalm 113, 5. Who is like the Lord our God who is seated on high? In Luke chapter 1, verse 78 and 79, Zechariah praying and And prophesying because of his tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to guide the light, to to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So the God who sits on high and is given glory here, he's above all things. Glory to God in the highest has done what? Sent his son from on high. To do what? To save us. To bring us to peace. To to guide our feet in the way of peace. And of course, you'll remember in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, Jesus in that prophecy is called what? The Prince of Peace. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The salvation that God brings at his good pleasure brings us to peace with God. Now Christ, when he returns and when he establishes the millennium, he will set up an earthly peace that will extend through all creation. But most of all, we are reminded that God doesn't come primarily to make peace among men. In the sense of peace between two different people or three different people or multiple people. That is an effect of Christ's coming. Particularly if we're in Christ, we're to have peace with one another. But where does that peace start? That peace that he brings starts between you and God. Christ comes into the world to be a savior, to make peace between you and God. God loves us and sends His Son into the world 
so that while we were yet sinners, while we were still in sin, God is sending Jesus as a peacemaker. And God has wrath for sin, but He also extends His great love and says to the Son, go down there and sacrifice yourself for sin. And the Son, out of His great love for the Father and great love for us, comes down willingly as the Christ to make peace between God and man. Therefore, Scriptures say, if any of us are in Christ, we are a new creation. Or Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 that talks about us being a new creation goes on and says we have been reconciled to God. Meaning there is peace. Two parties that had something separating them. Sin have been brought back together. God and man can be in fellowship again. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior? Do you have that kind of relationship with Jesus? Where you can say with confidence, I have peace with God. That peace comes through Jesus Christ. And it is only by trusting in Him, believing that He is Lord and Savior, that we experience that peace. Sometimes, even as Christians, we wrestle with this idea of God and I are at peace. You know, sometimes maybe we fall back into some sin and, it, and the Holy Spirit convicts us and it bothers us. And we should go before the throne of grace and, and confess those sins and, and receive and re, uh, renew that relationship, as it were, and receive afresh the, the joy of salvation. Sometimes when we know we've had a sin and we know that we've confessed it again to the Lord, we still struggle with that assurance of salvation. That you really do have peace. Sometimes we struggle with that subjective feeling. I don't know. Look at how I messed up again. Look at this sin that constantly weighs on me. And, and rather than having a, a conviction of sin that is good, we have this constant guilty feeling even though we're going back to the cross. You need to remind yourself, the Lord Jesus Christ, as you trust in Him, is your Prince of Peace. He's the guarantee of the forgiveness of sins. The Scriptures say that we, when we cry out to Him, we can have a, a boldness in going before the throne of grace and receive mercy and help in our times of need. You will find a loving and merciful Savior ready and willing to minister peace to you, to comfort you in your sins, to, to be gracious to you. Notice then how this passage ends. It ends with worship. So it says in verse 18, and all who heard it, they heard what the, the uh, shepherds had told about the angels. It says they wondered at it. I think more accurately, it's, it's this idea that they marveled. Kind of like a, Wow, that really happened? Maybe some of them wondering, like, why would that happen? 
This is just Mary's little baby. Could he really be special? They marveled. They wondered. It says in verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And then verse 20, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. I kind of wonder, and this is just my imagination at work here, but I wonder if the shepherds got any sleep that night. You ever have something really exciting happen to you and the adrenaline kicks in and you're just like, wow, this is amazing. And, and you know, you, you come home and, and you're just wired and you're like, I can't go to sleep now. And you're up till like two in the morning and wow, this is awesome. I don't know what time the shepherds got back from seeing Mary and Joseph. Maybe it was very in, early in the morning. Maybe the sun was coming up. Maybe it was only, you know, two or three in the morning. But I can imagine them coming back and they're glorifying and praising God. That They maybe pulled an all-nighter and they just got back and they kept worshiping and they said, this is awesome. This is exciting. Isn't God amazing? That's what we need in our Christmas spirit. As you go home today, isn't this awesome what God has done? The birth of the Lord Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. That is amazing. As resurrected flesh and blood, Jesus went back into heaven. He's the King of kings. Wow. Praise God. Praise God. Come before the Lord Jesus, the Savior and Lord. Glorify God. We, we just, myself included, we, we just we don't know what that word means. To glorify God. To give such praise to Him that, that we hold nothing back. That, that we see ourselves as even lowlier than Jesus was in this manger. And say, I am a nobody, but God, you dwell on high. And the son who was a baby is now there on high. I know all of you that have young kids especially have big dreams for your little kids. But I'm telling you, their dreams will never get this big. To go from being a baby in the nursery to being the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And then to ponder that the one who does this had glory from all eternity. If I was comfortable in heaven, I would never give it up. And yet the Son of God comes down and becomes just like us. In every respect, yet without sin, so that he can save us. He really is the Savior. He really is the Christ. He really is the Lord. And he comes so that we can have peace with God. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we just marvel at who you are and what you've done. 
Uh, bring us joy this Christmas, great joy at the unfolding of redemption that we have in the birth and life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Even as we think of Jesus' birth today, we just celebrate him uh, becoming uh, like us, truly man. Let us not forget, though, that he's not a baby anymore. Just like we celebrate birthdays of our children as they grow up, and even as adults, we celebrate birthdays. Lord, we celebrate the birthday of the even greater one, the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Oh, Lord, we are unworthy to come into your presence and worship you. And yet we delight in being able to do this because you have made peace between God and man. We just praise your name, O Jesus. Amen.